In our text this morning, which is going to come from James, the fourth chapter and verse 2, James, the brother of our Lord, is sharing with us his convictions about the value of prayer. And James is a man that deserves our attention because James is an intensely, exceedingly practical man. He is probably the most prosaically practical man you'll find on the pages of the New Testament. And James also deserves our attention because in the passage in our text, he's talking about prayer. And James has tested the effectiveness of prayer personally. How many of you remember when they made Packard automobiles? Do you remember the slogan for the Packard Automobile Company? I don't remember Packard Automobiles. They quit making them about 1955, 1956. But being in advertising for a few years, I read more than one book of advertising slogans. And the very memorable slogan for the Packard Automobile Company was, Ask the Man Who Owns One. Well, folks, that is the only sure way to come to a sane conviction about the value of prayer. The only way to come to a sane conviction about the value of prayer is to either Pray yourself or ask that person that practices prayer. Well, James, our Lord's brother, has been a man of prayer. In fact, James was so persistent in prayer that according to tradition, he earned a nickname and we're told that he was referred to as Camel Knees because his knees had become so calloused from spending so much time on his knees in prayer. And it is this practical man, this man of experience, that gives us our text this morning. In James chapter 4 and verse 2, he writes, You have not because you ask not. Now, that's the way the King James translation renders the passage. I personally think that Moffat makes it much more clear. Dr. Moffat translates that same passage, You miss what you want because you do not ask God for it. Now, that's a startling statement for us. And it's a statement that sounds almost revolutionary. And if we really believed it, it would make life far different for most of us. If we really believed it down deep inside, it would give us a complete makeover. James says you miss what you want because you don't ask God for it. Is it true or is it false? Quite naturally, folks, there are a lot of people that don't believe that. There are a lot of people that say, well, well, surely prayer is not so important as all of that. Well, maybe it's not. But I personally believe that it is. And yet we are compelled this morning to agree, at least agree with the first part of that statement. He says, you miss what you want. Who does? 
Well, maybe you do. Maybe the person sitting next to you, the person in front of you, the person behind you. Maybe we do. There are vast multitudes of people today all over this world who have not had their needs met in God. Now, that does not mean that some folks have not realized their ambitions. There are folks that have captured the very prize they set their hearts on to capture. But if we have missed God, we're not satisfied with what we found. If we've missed God, we're still missing what we want. You remember one time Jesus told the story of this restless young man that got tired of the constraints of his father's house and he told the father, he said, I want the part of the inheritance that's going to be mine. And his request was granted and he traveled to the far country. His purpose going to the far country was not so he could hurt his father. He just wanted to live his own life, his own way. That was the prize for him. And he won the prize he had set his heart on. But he got to the far country and he didn't find what he wanted. Slopping the hogs, he says, I perish with hunger. And that's not a unique experience. Everything betrays and disappoints that individual that betrays and disappoints God. And there are some times that for some folks, God seems not only to be not an asset, but He's actually a positive liability. For some folks, God gets in the way. That was the case of the man the psalmist was writing of. When the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. That man's difficulties were not intellectual. They were moral. God was in his way. And so therefore he dismissed him. Those that <clears throat> miss what they want are not confined to the men and women of the world who turn their backs on religion and ignore God altogether. All over this country, there are those within the church who confessedly have missed what they want. They haven't found the high satisfactions that are promised in the Scriptures. They haven't arrived as they once dreamed that they would. I read the other day of a preacher who was talking to a member of the church where he was preaching. And she said to him, she said, you know, I've gotten so little out of trying to be a Christian. And she went on. She said, before I became a Christian, I used to say that if I ever do become a Christian, I'm going to be the real thing. And she then sighed deeply and she said, but I'm just about like everyone else. She wasn't bitter. She wasn't antagonistic about the other members of the church. Unlike so many, she was not even antagonistic against her minister. She was just merely looking at the thin slice of bread she had in her hand. 
and wondering if that was the best that God could do for a human soul. You see, there's so many folks, folks in the church and folks outside the church, folks in our unhappy world that are missing what they want. But folks, James says it's not because of an unwillingness on God's part. It's not because of any unwillingness on God's part to meet our needs. And you read the New Testament and all the writers of the New Testament share that conviction. Truth be told, those early saints haunt us with the fact of God's infinite eagerness to help. You remember that leper that threw himself at the feet of Jesus that day? The leper that said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I can almost hear that pathetic prayer. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It was pathetic. The man was a leper. And there's no way to know how many desperate days of bitterness and disillusionment and despair there were behind that prayer that morning. Life had treated this man harshly. And life had treated this man so rudely that he had stopped believing in love altogether. He still believed in power. But he didn't believe in love. And so he came to Jesus with a prayer. And he said to Jesus, Lord, I think you're able to help me. He said, Lord, you have the power. I'm not sure you care enough to use your power. He said, but if you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean. Jesus reached forth his hand and touched him and he said, I will be thou clean. In that, we see the attitude of Jesus throughout the centuries. Constantly. Daily, weekly, monthly, forever. Jesus Christ is waiting for an opportunity to meet our needs. He does not have to be persuaded to help. I think perhaps the greatest heartache of Jesus is just this. Jesus longs to do so much for us. And we allow Him to do so little. Look at the picture. Another picture. Jesus is facing a multitude of people. They're disappointed. They're the disappointed, needy, defeated men and women such as He might face today if He came to Center, Texas. And Jesus looks into their tired eyes and He says, You will not come to Me that you might have life. I well remember the plaintive cry over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. Jesus looks out over the city and He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He weeps over the city. He says, Thou that stonest the prophets and killest them that are sent to thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And you would not. You would not. James is sure that our failure to get what we want is not due to any inadequacy on the part of the Lord. 
James says, you miss what you want because you do not ask God for it. Prayer. Prayer is something with which you and I can meet the needs of life. I don't mean by that that prayer is a power by which we can talk to God and persuade God to to do our will instead of doing His will. But prayer does make it possible for God to do for us and for God to do through us what He cannot otherwise do. Prayer makes it possible for us to hear a voice to which we would otherwise be deaf to. Prayer makes it possible for us to see where otherwise we should be blind. Whatever else life has brought to us, it has not brought the best unless we have learned how to pray. Now, not all prayer arrives. For prayer to be effective, it must be earnest. It must be born of a sense of need. The reason that God can't give to many of us is because God just can't get our interest and our attention. Too often, We look in all the wrong places before we give God an opportunity to answer. The fact is, if we're honest, we often never really pray until we get to the end of ourselves. We don't really pray until we get to face-to-face with needs we know we cannot meet. We come face-to-face with burdens we can't carry. And that's when we turn to God in prayer. Write this down. It's on the final exam. God can't give to the half-hearted because the half-hearted are incapable of receiving. And God can't give to us what we're not interested enough to take. Have we ever thought how long we would be without God in our lives? We'll be without God in our lives as long as we're content to be without God. But when the weighty hands of a desperate need put themselves on our shoulders, and when those needs press us in utter weakness to our knees, that's when we're prepared to pray effectively. It's the prayer that's earnest and the prayer of the righteous that is a mighty, mighty moving force. Stay with me on this. Don't make this more forbidding than it is. James says it's the prayer of the righteous. He doesn't say it's the prayer of the perfect. James doesn't say that in order to pray, we've got to be perfect. 
James is not saying that only the sinless can pray. He's saying that for prayer to be effective, it must be prayed by one who's living God's kind of life. Not one who's living in utter rebellion to God. We can pray. But we've got to be right with God or be willing to be right with God. But how often do we undertake this impossible task? We try to pray when there's a quarrel between us and God. When there's a surrender of self we're unwilling to make or a task we're unwilling to perform or a wound that we're unwilling to heal. If I've got a controversy between me and between God, I've either got to give up the controversy or I've got to give up prayer. That's a certainty. It's impossible to pray without the surrender of self. So to pray effectively, we've got to be right with God or at least be willing to be made right. It's got to be in faith. James says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. That kind of confidence makes prayer a positive force in our lives. Oftentimes, we enter the closet to pray and there's some heavy burden confronting us. But we fix all of our attention on the need. And we fail to see the one who can meet that need. We look at ourselves with hardly a glance at God. And that kind of praying tends to aggravate our trouble rather than help it. Beloved, prayer is to let God into your life. It means giving hospitality to the one who stands at the door and knocks. Prayer is opening the many blinds of our heart so the light of Jesus can shine in our lives. We don't have to persuade God to enter our lives. All God wants is an opportunity. God comes to us as a gift. And since prayer makes it possible for us to receive God, prayer is the pathway to power. To pray is to come into possession of resources for serene, courageous, effective living. Paul prayed for his Ephesian converts. And he prayed that God would grant them a mighty increase of strength by His Spirit. That increase of strength, that's a natural result of prayer. Have you not at some point faced situations that made you afraid? I have. Situations that I've faced with a shrinking dread. 
and then rising from my knees in prayer. I have found myself with a courage that was a surprise, even to my own heart. You see, folks, when we pray, we cease to carry on alone. When we pray, our strength becomes, in a measure, the strength of the infinite God. Because prayer is a means of helping others. Prayer is a way to release the power of God on the lives of others. Prayer is a way to enlist others in the kingdom of God. You remember one time Jesus says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. What was the next thing Jesus said? Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers. It was Jesus' firm conviction that the right kind of praying would change indifferent men and indifferent women into men and women that would care enough to help. Jesus believed that prayer could make those that were part of the disease become part of the remedy. We're closing the books on 2017. In 12 hours and 21 minutes and 20 seconds. By the clock on the wall. 2017 will be history. And 2018 will be reality. I would challenge every one of us. To make greater use of the holy, happy, heavenly exercise of prayer in our lives. Oftentimes, we bow our heads in public prayer and we bow our heads in private prayer. And our prayer is a prayer of healing for those who are facing surgeries and those who've had surgeries and those who are taking treatments and those who have other forms of physical maladies. We pray for those who are having issues with their health, whatever those issues might be. How often do we pray for those who are having much more serious issues than that with their spiritual health? How often do we bow our heads in prayer and say, Father, we want to pray for those who are sick and so sick spiritually. Those who have forgotten or those who never knew that the church was the spiritual body of the Lord. And treat the church not as the spiritual body of the Lord, but over years and years of time have treated the church as it were something like the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or Congress, or a service club, or a lodge. And consequently, those spiritually sick with that kind of attitude have done untold harm, damage, and devastation to the church through the years. They've spoken evil of the church. They've spoken evil of members of the church. 
They've done it throughout the community. Some have done it loudly. And they've done it over a period of years to the great detriment and harm of the Lord's body. Do we pray for those? That God would, as David said, create within them a new heart. That God would create within them a heart that would be turned toward God. Do we pray that God would heal their hearts? That their heart surgery in a spiritual way could be done and be done successfully? Do we pray for those who never understood and those that have forgotten that Jesus said that the world would know we're His disciples because we have love one for another. You remember when that man came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And then Jesus said, The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Have we prayed for those that never understood the kind of love that Jesus wants us to have? Have we prayed for ourselves that we might have that kind of love in our hearts toward one another? Have we prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send us laborers in the vineyard? Have we prayed that those laboring in the vineyard might be strengthened? Is it time for us to begin to ask God for the things that we need? James says you miss what you want because you do not ask God for it. But if we're going to ask God for it, we've got to be on praying terms with God. To be on praying terms with God, we've got to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior and the Master of all of our lives. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Master of your life, and you need to make changes to do that, this is your opportunity to do that as we stand and while we sing.